This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. Hello, hello. I'm Brittany Luce, and you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, a show about what's going on in culture and why it doesn't happen by accident. All right, y'all, we've got the Golden Globes under our belts. And with that, award season has officially kicked off. And there's one movie that I love that's been getting a lot of buzz and nominations. It's American fiction. These books have nothing to do with African-American studies. They're just literature. The, the blackest thing about this one is the ink. I don't decide what sections the books go in, and no one here does. That's how chain stores work. It's a satire of making and selling black art in America today. It's a rich film and a fantastic directorial debut from Emmy-winning writer Cord Jefferson. It's also stacked with an incredible cast. Tracy Ellis Ross, Erica Alexander, and the incredible Jeffrey Wright. I'm just going to put them back after you leave. Don't you dare, Ned. Do not you dare. It's hilarious and moving, and my husband and I did not shut up about it for nearly three hours after it was over. But still, I couldn't quite square the film's commentary with the Black art of today. Could it be that its satire is feeling a little past its sell-by date? We've kind of moved beyond the era of gangster rap stereotypes and good-bad binaries about representation, right? That's what we're getting into today with pop culture happy hour's Aisha Harris, who wrote an essay about the longer history of Black Hollywood satire and whether or not American fiction is actually speaking to this era of Black art. All that coming right up. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Here's a familiar situation. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right, a real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Support for NPR and the following message come from the American Cancer Society. Dr. Alpa Patel leads a team that researches cancer risk factors, and she shares how her team makes an impact. We always do what we like to think of as actionable science. So the work that we do makes its way to things like nutrition and physical activity guidelines for cancer.org, where millions of people come each year to learn about how they can better prevent cancer. To learn more, go to cancer.org. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. Aisha, welcome back to It's Been a Minute. Hey, Brittany. Hello, hello, hello. I am so excited to have you here. We're talking about this movie, American Fiction. Mm -hmm. For those who have not seen American Fiction, what is this film about? 
Yeah, so Jeffrey Wright plays Thelonious Monk Ellison. I don't know if you can hear all the references right there. <laughs> the many, <laughs> and he's a moderately successful novelist whose latest manuscript is too esoteric for the publishers to really be interested in it. And he notices that what's hot in the lit world right now are stories about uneducated, hypersexualized Black people who mm. live in ghettos. And he's very, you know, not happy about this. And so out of spite, and at first as a joke, he decides to craft the most exaggerated version of this kind of book he can possibly think of um, under the pseudonym of Stag R. Lee. And he and his agent craft this backstory for Stag, where he is like this... um, He's basically, they claim he's a wanted fugitive. Fugitive, yes, (laughs) Yes. who also served time in prison. Yes. Yes. And so that way he'll be ensured to stay anonymous. And of course, unsurprisingly, the publishers jump on this immediately. He's offered like a six-figure deal. He also gets a movie offer. So it it kind of plays into his expectations, but then he finds himself sinking deeper and deeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you wrote about it recently for NPR.org. And as you wrote... And as we know, this film is based on Percival Everett's 2001 novel Erasure, which is, you know, a satire of the publishing industry from 20 plus years ago. Can you take us back to 2001, like the world that Erasure was satirizing? And like, what was that era like? 2001 was a very weird time uh, for Black media. When you think about it, you know, at this time, we've got sort of this fallow period for TV where mm-hmm. classic Black sitcoms, especially of the 90s, were either had already ended or were coming to an end, whether you're thinking about Martin, Living Single, Moesha. Right. Um, and then on top of this, you have the movie landscape that's like primarily dominated by Will Smith and Denzel when it comes to Black actors. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's very limited roles for Black people both on TV and in film. Mm. And then on top of that, like, Percival Everett is specifically commenting on, uh, (laughs) supposedly, I don't know if he's ever said this on the record, but uh, the fictional book within the book, uh, which is called My Pathology, Pathology with an F, (laughs) and then is later retitled to a word that we cannot say on NPR, but suffice it to say, it starts with F. Um, (laughs) That book seems to be clearly satirizing Precious, or push a novel uh, by Sapphire, Sapphire. which Mm -hmm. became the movie Precious. And that movie slash book, if you recall, is about a young woman, a young girl who is uh, a mother, she is pregnant again, and she's being molested by family members. It's just very, very dark and bleak. Mm -hmm. At that time... I can understand where Percival Everett was coming from because this was a very weird time where we had one sort of image in the form of like the rare, you know, A-list Hollywood movie stars like Will and Denzel. Mm -hmm. But then on the other hand, we also just had, you know, no one else could really get to that that status in that way. Yeah, it it was a weird time. To kind of zoom out, American fiction is one of an established tradition of Black filmmakers satirizing the state of Hollywood for Black filmmakers and actors and producers. And obviously with American fiction, this kind of extends to the publishing world as well. In your essay, you bring up Spike Lee's Bamboozled, CB4 with Chris Rock and Robert Townsend's Hollywood Shuffle. And all of those movies are still beloved by audiences today. They still strike a nerve with audiences today. Why do these films remain classics? I think because they are so steeped in their time period. And it's it's weird to think about, right? Because when we think about comedy, often 
and I think correctly, we think comedy does not always age well, especially there are exceptions, of course, but like a lot of things do not age well. But I think satire gets away with it a little bit better because often things that are being satirized are things that are still persistent to today. Mm. And so, you know, Hollywood Shuffle, Robert Townsend's feature debut, he plays an up and coming actor who has to face this dilemma where he finally gets cast in a movie as a lead, but he has to play like a jive-talking pimp. Pimp. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, Bobby. uh, Bobby, I I need uh, a little more black. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Like, stick your ass out. uh, Bug the eyes. You know how they move, you know? Yeah, jive ass. Let's slate it. Let's go again. Okay, sorry. Sorry, Sydney. And so he faces this crisis of his conscience. And in in 1987, at the time that that movie came out, that was a real thing. Like, unless they were Eddie Murphy, they were being, like, (laughs) cast as pimp number two or, like, drug dealer but number five. Like, all of those things. And the same thing could be said for Bamboozled and and CB4. CB4 is about uh, Chris Rock playing the suburban guy who uh, (laughs) steals the identity of a real gangster in order to, like, pretend and make his way in the hip-hop world and in 1993 that's arguably like the peak or like the end of the peak of gangster rap gangster rap yeah so it, it feels like fresh and all of its targets were very pointed and direct and made sense with american fiction it's a little it's a little murkier there. I'm sure you also have ideas about like <laughs> how the satire is playing out here um, and whether that rings true or not. Well, I, I want to hear more from you. Like, even though this vein of satire is kind of a perennial theme for black filmmakers, you know, you said in your review and you and you shared just now that the commentary on the media industry, or on the publishing world or on Hollywood felt a little bit out of time or behind the times to you. Talk to me about that. We've seen these kind of like white people being so eager to just like eat up the most degrading and like awful images of black people. And what I wanted from American fiction was it to take it a little bit further. It didn't feel quite as weird or it didn't go go as far as like the black face in Spike Lee's Bamboozled, which also mm-hmm. ends with like people dying. Uh, and, and I think yeah, like- Yeah, that took a dark turn. It takes a dark turn. <laughs> it takes a dark turn. But Spike goes for it, right? And I think mm. here there's like a little bit of pulling back. I think that like for me, if we're going to keep harping on these similar uh, ideas about blackness and how white people respond to it, I need it to be either weirder or speaking more directly to what is actually a bigger problem. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. think the bigger issues right now are like the police brutality narratives that keep coming up or have come up in the past yeah. or the, the the trauma narratives when it comes to slavery. They're interested in how to be anti-racist or very flat perhaps pleasing satire for them of white professional spaces. Exactly. That also feels like something that I see like across entertainment and media as well. Right. Um, You brought this up in your essay and this is something that I noticed as well that I interpreted as some sort of artistic choice that like the movie doesn't engage with things like black Twitter or black critics. Right. They say Twitter is dead. I'm like, the discourse still is still, there's always some type of discourse still unfolding somewhere. I mean, it's Kat, happening. Cat Williams. Yeah. It, I mean, Cat <laughs> Williams, I mean, he recently, at, at the, yeah. very recently <laughs> um, revived the app with discourse. Um, to me, something that I would have loved to have seen 
It's like, I feel like Stag R. Lee, like Monk, would have been invited on The Breakfast Club. I feel like Charlemagne yeah. would have been like, we gotta get oh, him my in goodness. the room. Yes. And I would have, I enjoyed a lot of the movie, but something, I would love to have seen more engagement with black audiences within yeah. the film because I feel like, like there was a missed opportunity there for some good intra-community conversations. Yeah. And and I think that's partially just the way this movie is crafted. You know, in the book Erasure, there it's a lot more free-flowing and free-form and, and mm-hmm. it isn't as beholden to like a linear narrative. But with this, it's just really interesting because it is, it, it is probably even more of a family drama than it is a satire. It's uh, it, and I think that's the, my and the family drama is that I dramaing. Loved. It is good. It is so Goofy. good. In fact, I would have liked seeing that on its own more. Family drama was just so gorgeously executed and beautifully written, and like, and the performances were amazing. And I really, really, really was into that. Yeah. But the thing I also can't help but think about kind of like a commentary on the commentary on the commentary (laughs) is that I don't think that a family drama about those characters just having problems would have I don't think it would have been greenlit without that satirical angle I was like oh I wonder what it would have been like if the film were just about this family and I was like oh <laughs> it never would have been made <laughs> at this level no, with these no. resources never would have been made yeah that that's a thing I think it would have been made just not it would not be getting the Oscar push it would not probably yeah. have a lot of these actors in it sure. um and you know I I think that 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 is the conundrum right because it kind of does speak to the point that he's trying to make in a way is that like yeah. this intimate family drama on its own <laughs> probably wouldn't matter going back to this point about like i guess you and i were having an intra-community conversation but and going back to this idea of intra-community conversation there is this one pivotal moment in the film where monk played by jeffrey wright is finally face to face with his nemesis centara <laughs> golden who's and that played by Issa Rae. only in his mind she has like no <laughs> no awareness of him no awareness of him but centara golden is the author of Wee's Lives in the Ghetto, <laughs> this incredibly successful book that has really gotten Monk's goat. Like, he is so mad. And understandably so. It's like he it feels like he's being told by the powers that be that this is the kind of book that he needs to write, which mm-hmm. doesn't feel natural to him. And she's written that book, even though, like, she came, I believe, from Oberlin and graduated <laughs> from Oberlin and became a junior book editor for like a major publishing house. So that's not her reality either. And it's supposed to be this big confrontation. And I felt like there was tension building to this moment because there was a lot of throughout the film conversation between white people and black people, Mm -hmm. right? About what this book is supposed to mean or what it's supposed to do or who it's for. So this is the first big conversation that two black people are, are having in private about this book. And I was really excited for that moment. And I wished it would have been longer. Mm, Um, You know, it kind of got into some notions around selling out. And this is a moment where I was, you know, I mean, I've been a a big fan of Cord's writing on television and and, 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 and his journalism for, you know, a long time back in the Gawker days. Like, you know. Oh, man, the Gawker days. He was great. Like, very, very into following his work. And I was like excited for this moment because I was like, I'm going to find out. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I'm going to find out, like, what's <laughs> where's Monk at? And I felt like the conversation could have been longer. Um, and even just being somebody who works in journalism and media, I mean, I want to speak for you, but I feel like that conversation could have gone 
deeper on some levels and, and could have gotten really, yeah. really intense. At one point, she does say something really interesting. She says something about being a black woman and like why he's chosen to sort of like come after her. And mm. I was like, mm, this is true. Mm, this feels interesting. <laughs> but but it did feel kind of like the Twitter version of that conversation. And I mm. think. Again, to our point earlier about just wishing we had seen more of the outside world, it would have been nice to see him on a podcast on there is like one scene where he's on a talk show. But like Mm -hmm. that one doesn't seem I think they were trying to imply that she was like a Wendy Williams type, but we didn't get any Wendy Williams feel it. Like where where was that energy? (laughs) Where was the, you know, she was too Tamron Hollified, I think, uh, to really be a true Wendy. Yes, yes. So I wanted I wanted more of that. Like and and I think that could have helped make that conversation feel less kind of Hmm. muted than it it Hmm. wound up being, it sounds like, for both of us. Hmm. It's interesting, like, despite my impressions of the film or your impressions of the film, it's something that's been very consistent throughout, you know, Core Jefferson's interviews is that he's been saying that, you know, despite his Emmy's win, which he won a writing Emmy for a fabulous episode of The Watchmen. Yes, my goodness. Several years ago. And I mean, it was a huge deal. I mean, it was a great episode. It was a well-deserved win. But he said that he still has struggled to be able to get the support, the funding, the opportunities to make nuanced portrayals of Black life that don't involve you know, some of these trauma porn crutches that we see over and over again. He just discussed it on a recent episode of Fresh Air, um, where he was talking to Tanya Mosley, phenomenal Tanya Mm Mosley. And even though this conversation feels out of time in some ways to some audience members, Monk's complaints clearly are still an issue in Hollywood and publishing. And I can attest in media and journalism today, some of the things I have seen, heard, and experienced, (laughs) even though there are aspects of it that feel out of time, it is very interesting that so much of it still hits um, in a pocket that feels very true. And that's that's why I can't hate on this movie too much, even though I know we've been talking about all the issues (laughs) that that we have with it. But at the same time, I don't want to discredit what he or other people in Hollywood might be going through or in the literary world or wherever, that is the conundrum is that like we keep progressing. And I always want to tell people who are upset about the latest movie about slavery or whatever. I'm just like, Mm -hmm. there Mm -hmm. is other stuff being made. Just you have to look for it. Don't worry. Like it's okay. You know, I will say like, you know, we both have discussed like how, much we loved so many aspects of this film. And also, like, for me, I just felt it was so refreshing in so many ways. And the thing that I found myself saying when I got to the end is I was like, I want to watch this again. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, yeah. it, like, bears re-watching. Like, yeah. it's rewatchable in a way that, no disrespect, but, like, Roots, 12 Years a Slave. I have seen Selma again, but, mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to sit on a Saturday and be like, you know what? I'm going to turn on Selma. I'm more likely, truth, truthfully, truthfully, I'm more likely, me and my husband are more likely on a sick day or on a little just kind of cozy day to turn on Why Did I Get Married? <laughs> then we are to turn on Speaking of, Selma. Tyler, Tyler Perry gets a, gets a few shout outs in this movie too. Uh, definitely, definitely, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, I will say like I could see American fiction being a – new black comfort watch along those lines. And there's something to me very nice about a new contemporary black comfort watch. Yeah. I don't think it's touching something like Bamboozled or Hollywood Shuffle or, you know, even Sorry to Bother You. But Mm. I do think it is rewatchable. It's made me think a lot. 
Mm-hmm. And as frustrating as it is, I still really want people to see it and talk about it. it your mileage may vary with this, but I think just if you haven't seen it, it's it's worth a watch and talk about it. Jeffrey Wright is giving, I think, <sighs> one of his best performances best. ever. I feel excited about the movement around this movie. It getting a lot of press attention, and but also like to zoom out from American fiction. I do want to say that it feels notable to me that this moment with American fiction kind of like with all of the Oscar buzz and the award season, you know, praise that it's been getting, there's a moment happening that feels bigger than this film. Like we have the color purple and origin by Ava DuVernay. And each of these three films are made by black people about different experiences. They have totally different tones and not to make everything all about the Academy or the Oscars or whatever, but I, I don't have a memory of this much diversity in the black stories that are award season darlings, like conversation, yeah. like topic, tone, style, but also high quality. But I mean, you know, it, in a kind of ironic way, this moment kind of is, speaks to the idea that the future that American fiction was hoping for yeah. is kind of, it's kind of here. Absolutely. In a very interesting way. Yeah. Um, well, Aisha, thank you so much. I had so much fun. I deeply enjoyed watching the film. But I have even more so enjoyed talking about the film. Yeah. It's just like, huh, I just, I feel blessed to have a rich text. Yes. A rich, a very rich text. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. This is amazing. <laughs> that was NPR's Aisha Harris. You can read her essay on American fiction at NPR.org. This episode was produced by me and Barton Girdwood. Our editors are Jessica Placek and Bilal Qureshi. I'm Brittany Luce, and I'll be back Friday with another episode of It's Been a Minute from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com switch. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. This election season, you can expect to hear a lot of news. Some of it meaningful, much of it not. Give the Up First podcast 15 minutes, sometimes a little less, and we'll help you sort it out what's going on around the world and at home. Three stories, 15 minutes, Up First every day. Listen every morning wherever you get your podcasts.